0: Welcome back to the Valkyrie Project Podcast. I'm your host, Meg. I hope everyone's staying safe from the COVID outbreak. These are strange times indeed, but they do provide an opportunity to put in some self-work from home. Speaking of self-work, today I'm talking with Cecilia Kraft. CC has a long and illustrious career in sport, working as a mental performance coach. So, after being a collegiate soccer athlete and studying at Bates College in Maine and the illustrious University of Wales... She went on to work with Major League Baseball players on the Cleveland Indians. She then went on to work with soldiers at the Special Warfare Center at Fort Bragg, North Carolina, leading the Cognitive Enhancement Program and helping tactical athletes achieve their best possible mental game. She's done extensive work and research in this field and is a mentor in the Valkyrie Project Forum as well. This is the first in what I hope will be several enlightening chats with CeCe. I hope you enjoy.
1: Thanks so much for being here. It's my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me on.
0: It's very exciting to get um, people on the show that, I don't know, not just the baseline tips and tricks like, oh,
1: how to, here's how to hack your workouts type stuff, but I really appreciate the mental game. It's, so I played soccer in college and I think it was the piece that I realized you could train up your craft as in your fundamental skills, you could train up the physical side, but there was still this mental side that was always at play. And it, it got me really curious and interested in, in this piece. And I guess it's kept me interested ever since.
0: That's awesome. So was your time playing soccer in college a segue into what you do now?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was a, a center defender in college. Um, and probably two things were catalysts. I had a visiting professor that came in and was running research on um, task or goal orientations and ego goal orientations. So basically wanting to get better at a task versus wanting to win at everything you do or beat everybody else as like what you considered winning or what you considered success. Um, and she ran live experiments where you were running an obstacle course against someone else and they either set you up to compete or they set you up to just get better each time. And she had us looking at um, people' pr- ability to persevere, wanting to continue at the task if you failed. Uh, And I think that was shocking to me that something so small as just setting setting someone up to compete or setting someone up to get better each time changed the type of person they were in that moment and their willingness to persevere. So I think that was interesting. And then um, I captained the team my senior year, and I don't think I was the best captain. And I reflected on that and always felt bad about it. So I ended up studying leadership behaviors for my master's degree in uh, applied sports science uh, because I was really curious about how, how do you do that better?
0: Yeah. Doesn't it suck to have to learn stuff the hard way? I Uh, hate it. Yeah. It's the worst. (laughs) I want to get it right the first time every time. And I know that's impossible, but
1: yes, I think you'll find a lot of people in our field either gone into it because they were athletes or or maybe because we were all failed athletes, uh, and wanted to figure out how we could have done better at what we did. so, yeah, I could
0: see that. So going back to the point you made about the two to dif- the dichotomy between, you know, how you're viewing yourself when you're in the mode of like performing and, uh, competing, I guess, did she find that people who were more oriented. If I had to guess, I would guess that people that were more focused on beating others did not perform as well as people who were just focused on themselves. Was that
1: true? So really interesting line of research for a long time, sports psychology said, okay, you're task oriented. You want to like it's mastery, you want to get better every day, or you're ego-oriented, you want to beat everybody else. Um, and it's it's one or the other. And so they did show a lot of studies of people with an ego orientation tended to cheat more because winning was so important. They didn't tend to keep it a task if they failed at it. They didn't persevere very well in, in, in the face of challenges. And task orientation people that were focused on their mastery um, would get better uh, and would stick with it. And they would keep working through challenges and they didn't tend to cheat. What was really neat was a researcher came back years later, um, and said, Hey, it's not one or the other, you actually could be high in both. And if you look at most of the best competitors in the world, they both want to get better every day and they have their own personal standard of mastery, but they also like to compete and they, they want to win and they want to beat people. And that's part of where their motivation comes from too. And so it's not either, or it's, it's both interesting.
0: I would also think that whether you were playing a team sport, Or doing an individual sport would play into that a lot because there's so much reliance that you have to invest in trusting your teammates and the coordination that you have between your rehearsals with each other. I mean, I think, you know, talking particularly about, uh, the late great Kobe Bryant, you know, would he have been the same athlete without the team that surrounded him when he was growing up? I'm not sure. I don't know much about basketball, but I would imagine not.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's such an interesting question when you get into team dynamics about how that all works together and, um, what's the team's focus and is there like social cohesion do they like each other do they spend time with each other off the court um it gets it gets wildly complex very quickly um but i think that that personal standard is what oftentimes you see these kind of premier top athletes set themselves apart with is is um the world's good enough is not necessarily they good enough and they train in a way with a attention to detail or with a focus on their personal betterment in a way that most won't um they're they're interested in their own personal bar, their own personal standard in a way that others aren't. And I think you see that with teams, they come in and they can help set these bars for the team as a whole. And the team ends up with a standard that maybe is different from what other teams are setting.
0: Do today what others won't, do tomorrow what others can't, right? Yes. We've kind of adopted that as the VP motto. <laughs> it's awesome. That's a great motto. I think it. I think it speaks a lot to not only the investment that you have to pour in as a person that wants to do the kinds of things that we train women to do. But it's also, yeah, it's it's admitting that getting to that top level is, it's a a daily practice in being okay with coming back to your center and coming back to your focus. Cause like, you you can't reach that elite level without it. And you don't necessarily have to be elite, like at all times in order to be a successful female, you know, while we're on the subject, soft operator per se, or even, you know, a high performing person in in one of those demanding jobs. But certainly to get entry into certain jobs, you essentially have to be kind of trained like a pro athlete when you go into it. And then once you've been accepted into that top tier, you know, tip of the spear job, then you can later re-cage. Like there are events that you have to, and we talked about this in the first podcast, there are events that you have to overcome in some of these military assessments that you will never do again. So you have to be ready for them one time. And then after that, it's like, okay, I don't have to, I don't have to be that ready anymore. I mean, you do, if, if it comes down to dire circumstances that are unusual and, and don't happen a whole lot, but it's, it's a balance between perform really, really well when you're tired and deprived of nutrition and already just breaking down physically because you've been pounding pavement for 10 (laughs) days prior. Um, but then, you know, getting to go back and like being semi-normal after that.
1: Yeah. Assessments are a really interesting setup. I mean, they're a very small period of time relatively to be at an incredibly high level performance. And then the event you're training for after that is much more of a marathon based event. Right. So, um, in a three-week period or two-week period or one-week period, you're trying to be 100% on for a very short period of time. And that's doable. But then if you even talk about something like most of the Q courses, you're entering into something that is now months long. And so you're not going to be at 100% for a short period. People are going to get much more of a sense of how you are and how you function daily. And so I I think in both, you know, the habits that build the – ability to be on hundred percent for a short period of time are really important. But then what do those habits, um, translate or adapt into to allow you to then handle kind of more the marathon endurance pace where it may not be hundred percent every day, of the week for the next year, but it still has to be pretty good. Yep.
0: And that's the expectation. I think that most of the United States has for its elite war fighters mm-hmm. and, and rightfully so. So going back to professional athletes and professional sports, you have a really fun background. Can you tell us a little bit about who you worked with? And I mean, without obviously, you know, spilling details (laughs) that otherwise would be like a violation of trust or agreements. But
1: yeah, sure. I spent the last six years um, working with the Cleveland Indians and I, I worked predominantly with the Major League and AAA players. So the guys you see on TV and the guys right below them um and working with them on the mental performance side so uh got to be part of an amazing mental performance um coach staff and and got to have those two teams as as my set of guys and my my teams
0: how did you like that
1: i loved it you couldn't have asked i mean i couldn't have asked for a better organization to begin with um i was uh, the first female that was offered a full-time position uh, in mental performance for Major League Baseball. That's a big deal. It was awesome, and I think it speaks a lot to the organization for them being willing to take that on, no one really knowing what that looks like. Um, Much like a lot of things I think we're experiencing as women, you know, there are no women's bathrooms in a clubhouse in any Major League ballpark because they just never envisioned a woman being there, so the infrastructure wasn't set up and the club took a risk on what that was going to look like our manager um terry francona was just absolutely phenomenal with it and and helped me navigate what that was going to look like um the best he knew how and then um the players just were i mean i can't say enough about just an exceptional group of men um no one really knew what to make of it when i first came in uh but it, just the relationships i got to have out of that and i've been in touch with a lot of them as we're coming into spring training for them again this year and just a great group of players and amazing to watch them achieve all the different things that they did on and off the field. So yeah, it was an honor and a pleasure to get to work with them for that long.
0: What was it like when you got to that inevitable moment where these people that barely know you have to trust your advice when it comes to let me help you with your mental game? Like as a woman talking to a man who's a professional athlete being like, I'm going to help you fix your, your head game.
1: Yeah. Well, so I think some of what actually helped me a lot is before I started working for the Indians, I spent six years working in the soft community, working on the mental side. And so I had a background of saying, Hey, I don't know exactly what you're going through. And I haven't been there. And I do know my field really well though. I know mental performance. Um, and so let's talk about it. Let's work together on this and you're going to teach me a lot. And, and I'm hopefully going to be able to figure out what's going to be most helpful to you. Um, soldiering populations are amazing because they offer very candid feedback, positive or negative. And so I think they made me a much better practitioner. I think they also helped me with some good tough skin coming into baseball. So that was a lot of it. And I think sometimes we take for granted that people want to be able to teach to, you know, it, it, so, um, I think some of the players, waited a long time to trust They just watched kind of how I handled myself and carried myself and what I had to offer. And then I think it was a lot of, Hey, when someone asks a question, make sure that you have really, you have a good answer to it and, um, and that you're following back up, uh, with more information and more things that are useful, that you're doing an incredibly thorough job. So if someone cracks that door open for you one inch, you know, by the end of the conversation, it's open a foot. And then I think you just have to be patient. Um, you know, when you're stepping into a culture that you hope evolves and changes. It doesn't, it's not drastic. It's not a U-turn overnight. Um, it's, it's a slow evolution. And I think that means it's real because I don't think rash changes are real. I don't think they last. Um, but it was fun, fun to watch and and fun to kind of see the guys, uh, by my last year kind of stopping in and, um, saying hi and hearing how their families were doing and how they were doing every day and, and kind of the offhanded conversations. Hey, what do you think about this? Hey, what do you think about that? Hey, I'm experiencing this. Hey, it's a completely crappy day. Can you help? Um, it was a pretty amazing place to be by the end, but I think it's hard to be patient. Sometimes it's hard to earn the trust.
0: Yeah. It's a process across the board. I think, especially in, in the communities that you've traveled in and saw and, There's, (laughs) there's, <laughs> I'm just thinking of multiple examples in my head uh, where in the past I've, whether it's a fair scenario or not, had to be put on the spot like, well, I know you're trained in your job and you're here to do that job, but I'm just innately not gonna trust you because you have different anatomy and you're not one of us. You don't you don't wear a hat that's the same color. And that's that's a challenge too. But yeah, it generally seems like you know, with anything across the board with the U.S. military, as long as you are performing, then that's really what most people expect. But the first little bit of time when you're getting settled in until there's been an opportunity to perform, it doesn't always feel great.
1: Yeah. I mean, I I used to joke both working in the military and in baseball that I kind of got like the free 30 seconds off the bat just because no one knew what to make of it. Um... But then you deal with the wall of whatever biases are stacked against you. I think I take kind of a sick joy in climbing that wall. (laughs) Um, And I think shocking people can be a lot of fun. Um, But I think part of that, too, you know, is really getting a sense of who you are and how you're going to operate and being consistent with how you operate. And I think having respect, too, you know, if you want to work with high performing people they have a right to be protective over where they've gotten themselves to. They have a right to, to be thoughtful and choosy about who they want to let into their world um, because they've worked really hard to get there. Um, and so, having respect on that end, too, of, hey, you're, you're allowed to kind of sniff this out and feel this out. Um, and at some point, if you can't get over the fact I'm female, then it's sadly your loss. Sex to be you. Yeah. yeah. It's such a
0: weird animal. You were describing how that that trust is a two way street. And yeah, definitely have to acknowledge that because when I put myself on the other side of the coin, um, typically, you know, I had been on the side where, you know, I'm spinning my wheels to prove myself. And that's been a decent part of my adult life, especially, you know, traveling in circles of elite people. But uh, I'm hard to coach. And I've told this to coaches elsewhere, like especially after I spent so much time as a competitive crossfitter Mm -hmm. and now focusing on the tactical stuff. Yeah, I'm hard to coach. God help the random person that walks up to me at the gym. Just don't, just don't even.
1: But I think you're entitled to it. And I think that's something you have to respect and know. Uh, You know, baseball even sometimes will look at like, A version of hard-headed as a trait that they would like um, because you want someone that's going to stick by and have some conviction into what they've been doing. I mean, it's a a form of confidence and believing in their habits and also a willingness to sacrifice and maintain those. You don't want someone that changes their tactics as the wind blows, right? So um, I think there's a lot to respect there.
0: I think there's also the aspect of knowing yourself Mm
1: -hmm. and being able
0: to look in the mirror and say, I know what I know, I know what I don't know. There's some stuff in that category of, I don't know what I don't know. Yep. Um, but for the most part, yeah, I think a person that just is a high performer in life in general has a good sense of that, that kind of, that honesty with themselves, their ability to get on a level, to talk with themselves like they're, their own best friend as opposed to like, <laughs> I either like, worship myself for no apparent reason, I have a huge ego, and for for no useful reason whatsoever, or just like a constant cycle of self-deprecation and yeah. some s- spectrum in between.
1: Finding the balance there. There was a piece by a guy named Adam Grant, who's a professor at Wharton. And I think this actually speaks to kind of being the, the female in a situation too. He talked about how the kind of tactics in an office place that work for men, If a woman woman tries to do it, so self-deprecation being an example, self-deprecation for a male in a leadership position um, shows humility and opens people up to think you're a better leader. Self-deprecation as a woman, when you show it in a leadership position in an office place, makes people think you're less competent. And so really, uh uh-huh. And so I, right. So I I think that's one of (laughs) the
0: time I spent running around in my first unit, showing everybody my butter bar. See (laughs) this. It means I'm dumb. Help me.
1: Right. (laughs) But, but it's, I think that's one of the things though is, so you talked about knowing yourself. I think that's one of the difficult parts. Um, when you're in a, a situation where you're female and surrounded by men is they will, You know, if you're, if you're surrounded by a good community, they may give you the best advice they possibly have, but, but what worked for them doesn't necessarily fit you. And so you end up in this very strange situation of, well, do I trust me who doesn't have that much experience in this same situation before, or do I listen to all these guys that do, but what they're doing doesn't seem to have the same effect when I do it. And I think there's reality to it. We're different. It's not perceived the same. A woman doing the same action as a man can have two two totally different um, reactions from from people.
0: I feel like it's always a moving target, too. Like, there has to be some mixture of self trust and, you know, trusting the people around you and trusting that if you're in a particular work environment that is full of people that, you know, have been specially selected to be there as part of that team, that, you know, there's a certain degree to which, you know, I should trust the community around me, but there are always moments when you're wrong and those moments suck. There's a lot of assumptions that are made too, I think, by the way, that people respond to us when we do certain things and, uh, you really don't ever know for sure if you've succeeded in your, in like playing the mind games of, Mm -hmm. you know, earning and showing respect until sometimes when you're on your way out the door of an organization and the person that never spoke to you wants to tell you how much they respect you and appreciate your perspectives and you're like oh hi person that never talks yeah or you know someone that you thought you had a good working relationship with you you hear later that they said things and it's like man I kind of didn't know what
1: was going on that yeah. whole time no I think Sometimes it's a, you can't It's a hard situation to be in and, and I think you're right oftentimes it is your way out the door where you get kind of the more honest opinion.
0: Yeah. And it really speaking specifically in terms of military service, it shouldn't be it shouldn't be that way. You should have the hard, honest truth from your commanders. And really, if you're from my opinion, um, if you're in a unit with people that you essentially like built this new life around, like a home away from home in some Mm -hmm. ways, you would hope that they're leveling with you. Um, and I've, I've had those moments on my way out the door of a unit and thought I had, you know, the trust and love of my men. And to come find out later that, like, yeah, half the people in the group text, like, you know, they think you're a really good leader. And the other half are just like, man, I'm glad she's gone. And it's like, ugh. Yeah. That sucks. But I can't win everybody over.
1: No, and I think that that comes back to that piece of knowing yourself and making your decisions, you know, having informed decisions that you know uh, are right for you in the end that, that may or may not win you the populace. I I think it's, it's hard because in those situations, too, I mean, I found myself trying to figure out. Am I hitting the wall in front of me right now? How much of why I'm hitting the wall in front of me right now is because I'm female and how much of it is because I need to see the feedback in front of me and change something and I'm not doing it right. And I've gone on all sides of um, uh, thinking it's, I I need to 100% be taking the feedback and it has nothing to do with me being female to feeling almost paranoid with how much of it I think has to do with me being female and I am doing the same thing everybody around me is doing. And so why am I getting different interactions? Um, And I called a really good friend at one point who's an awesome professor out of Fullerton and kind of said, you know, this is what I'm dealing with and what do I do? And she said, well, can you do anything to fix it? I mean, is there anything to be done about it? Um, I said, no. She said, well, then accept it and figure out how to make it work. I mean, this is your reality. Um, Whether or not that's part of your walls because you're a female, like that's your wall. So what are you going to do about it? And it was probably what I needed to hear at that point. Cause I just gotten so spun up on it, but um, you know, it's hard to know. And I think it's, it's hard to have the confidence and, and kind of continue to believe in yourself and your choices enough during those periods that it doesn't completely throw you because I, I think that's the point where you lose it. That's the point where, the naysayers and the doubters have their proof. That's the point where you don't even know which direction's up anymore. But if you can kind of keep on your path and and true to what you've kind of decided going in or what you've learned working through it, tend to end up in pretty good spots. And the people's respect that you would want is tend to, tends to be the ones you have at the end. Yeah, that's
0: very true. You've essentially just verbalized what is the enduring conundrum that like I can never that I don't think any woman in a male dominated organization can ever escape.
1: No. And I I think, um, the thing I finally came to on some level too is people aren't aware of it even, right? So like, especially if you're around really good meaning guys, really well-meaning guys, they don't mean to see you differently. They don't mean to judge stuff differently. They don't mean any of it. They just, it's so ingrained in upbringing that a lot of it's not even conscious. Um, and I think that that was a, a piece that I saw from time to time in baseball. Is I, I most of the walls I faced were not from horrible people trying to keep me out of stuff, they just didn't think about it. I've come to that point
0: a couple times before, too, where it's just like I can choose to believe that this person sees me as less than right. because I'm a woman or I can choose to believe that they've just been indoctrinated by their surroundings up to this point. And if I want to continue to have a good working relationship with them, it's my job to gently and with kindness and with good intentions, show them another way or help them approach me better.
1: Yes, you I know, mean, it's And like that's a lot of, ro-
0: You have to, you have to be okay with taking that responsibility on when it would be easy to say, I shouldn't have to. It shouldn't be the way. It shouldn't should not shouldn't.
1: I mean that's great but but it is and I, it makes me nervous. Um, there's been a couple of women that have come into baseball after me in the mental performance role. they're absolutely phenomenal. Um, Laura, Hannah, and you know part of what we've talked about is you have to you have to be aware denying it um, or, or expecting it to be a perfect world when you enter is not a good mental place to start. So just just knowing, knowing you're gonna have to figure out where to go to the bathroom, and that might be the same place the fans go to the bathroom in the ballpark. And knowing that none of it's built for you, and knowing that you know, you're know you gonna be an oddity, if you can go in kind of accepting that, it it makes the game a lot more playable. In a weird way, you're running your own psychological operations campaign, right? Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> you are slowly changing hearts and minds. Um, and that's, that is what you're doing, but it takes consistency, it takes time, it takes patience. Um, should it maybe not but is that the reality and probably how true change occurs yes so that's what it is
0: yeah gosh people here we are in the year 2020 and the bathroom situation is still (laughs) a situation especially in the state of North Carolina you know where in recent news there's been lots of to do over uh, integration of restrooms and transgender access to restrooms Yeah. I had my own experience, my own frustration with the restroom where I was in, I was the only woman in the company and there was a women's room and a men's room Mm. in the, uh, in the building. And they're all like, ma'am, why do you get to have your own bathroom? There's like 25 of us, only one of you. And we need to shower in the morning and this and that. And at first I was like, Hey man, I'll share with you guys. Like if you're going to go take a shower, lock the door, the, the, the toilets have stalls. I don't really care. Just close the door. Um, but it got to a point where, I'm sorry, guys that are listening. I'm sure all of you are not like this. But, like, urine and pier becare and gross man-trail things in the bathroom. <laughs> and I was like, I've had enough. And even after, like, I went to the first sergeant and put it out to the whole company. Like, guys, please stay out of my bathroom. Everybody was like, oh, yeah, mm, yeah, yeah, nobody's going in there. Come to find out later, it was senior leadership using it, not the guys, not the Joes. So I, you know, I decided to take matters into my own hands and I got the key to the bathroom from the first sergeant and I held on to that key. And I did not turn it back in until I left the unit. And that was one of those things where like, all right, I've been patient, I've been accommodating, I should be able to access a clean bathroom.
1: Probably wise. Sad, but wise. (laughs) Sometimes you just gotta draw a line in the sand. You gotta do what you gotta do.
0: Yeah. But I I think there are probably plenty of listeners out there that are women that have experienced something similar, particularly in field situations, Mm. and, like, tried to go out to Ranger and all this (coughs) stuff and just figuring it out. But, man, like, I'm proud of those women for going and figuring those situations out early on and and for bearing the brunt of what is inevitably going to be a difficult road this this very you know narrow road into women doing these jobs that were previously held by men um figure it out you know because if you're not willing to figure it out you also in many ways really never get what you want out of life i think and it's it's easy to fall into a redundant we talked about another podcast with mark england uh, the founder of Procabulary. Um, if you're not familiar with his work, you probably appreciate it because it's essentially a coaching tool to help people reframe the language they use in their head to remove soft talk and things that are just not productive for achieving goals. Like, well, he wouldn't let me blah. Okay. Let's reevaluate that. You wouldn't let you blah because you're in charge of you, right? right? Okay. So kind of reframing everything. So you have more ability to take responsibility in your life and therefore more control over the the outcomes. Um, but we discussed in another podcast, essentially what's a victim mentality of like constantly having an expectation that other people should accommodate everything for you. And it shouldn't be this way. And everyone else is responsible for my situation. And I just, I, I wouldn't want to live that life.
1: No, I think it, again. I mean, to me, it goes back to hey, you. You have to take realistic s- stock over whatever situation you want to walk into, and want to walk into is probably an operative term too, or an important term there. Where like you are choosing, you're choosing your situation, mm-hmm. and then the next question is, can you accept everything that goes along with that situation, and and are you ready to fully accept that um, the goods, the bads, and the uglies? Because because you'll probably hit all three. Um, and I think if you can come from that place of, hey, as it, as it, as it happens, as it rolls along, I'm going to accept the ground that I'm standing on and move from there. You can handle a lot. I think it's when you get caught up and I'm unwilling to accept the, the reality of this. Well, then it's, it's really hard to move from a place of no reality, right? Like it's, you're, you can't function in wonderland. So, hey, this is a situation, accept it, figure out the best course of action, move from there.
0: Yeah, this, this is a an idea I've been toying with recently, too, after discussions with Mark and listening to other podcasts that are pretty, like, kind of introspective in terms of, you know, changing your life, but there's a lot of ego in expecting the world to be a certain way, you know, like, whatever my picture of reality is the world has to fit into that that's not how it is the world is what it is
1: yeah i I mean i think we'd all like to impose our norms on the world right and and (laughs) for anyone that's ever lived with somebody else like you know you'd like them to naturally do things the exact (laughs) way you do them (laughs) like this is not hard. You just should accept my norms. Uh Um, Right? So we've all had that experience. (laughs) Uh, And then you realize that there are some things that you need to accept. And if you want that person to feel happy and valued, and if you want to feel happy and valued, um, there has to be a space for kind of the shared reality or the shared space or this um, not perfect, but more functional uh, viewpoint. And I, I think that exists to our, greater world too of, um, wouldn't it be lovely if everyone just did things the way we want, but from our own homes, um, all the way through anywhere else we function, uh, the reality is that's not the case. So how much space can you make, um, for other people's reality and then picking and choosing, you know, okay, what within that is okay for you and, and what really is not okay. Um, but I think the more rigid you are with that, it's it's harder and harder of a world. Your world's gonna get smaller um, and it's harder to adapt. And so I'm not saying make so much space that everyone can do everything they want to you. That's, you gotta value yourself in that situation too. But you're, you're always trying to figure out what's that line. Yeah. So
0: I'm interested in knowing what, to the extent that you can talk about it, what were some of the most common things that you had to work through when, like specifically regarding your professional baseball players. Like what were some things that kind of came up frequently as challenges to their performance that you were able to address from a, from a psychology perspective?
1: Yeah, I can definitely speak generally on that. Um, So I think one of the terms, it's like a huge popular term right now, but it's real um, is growth mindset and fixed mindset. So, you know, most baseball players have been identified maybe around the age of 14 and told they're amazing and the best at what they do um, and they're gonna get drafted. And of course, when they are drafted, if they're drafted as a top pick, they've been handed a couple million dollars for never playing a day of pro baseball in their life, but everything they've been up till now. And the expectation is that they will go on to do great things for the club. But a lot of that also kind of ordains you already as great, right, it like dubs you, like you have been made great already. And so sometimes that actually makes it harder harder to learn or harder to adapt um, because you're already supposed to be great. Um, probably that feeling people have right after being selected for something. I was just going to, I wanted to
0: say <laughs> while you're describing it, gosh, it sounds familiar. Like soft community, hey, you made it. And I don't think any, I don't think anyone that, you know, is talking about this with new students as they come into any pipelines is trying to create a detrimental situation, but they're just like, congratulations, you did it, you made it, you made it, Right? but there's still all this other like year and a half of stuff you have to go through that's really the hardest part.
1: And that's pro baseball, right? So if you get drafted at 18, you've got about five years of development before you'd ever see someone on a major league field, and if you're drafted in college, you still have about three years of development. And, and you've got some lessons to learn. So you might've gotten drafted and the club is thinking to itself, wow, we're gonna rework his swing or wow, we're gonna change those arm mechanics when he throws. The player doesn't know that. He's just been drafted. Um, and so the club's digging in for all this work that has to be done. But this player's thinking, wait a minute, I've been drafted. You know, you've told me I'm the best. And so I, I think a piece there that's hard for a lot of the guys is realizing that being coached is not a knock on what you already are. Um, And that when you fail, you don't lose the person you were. You don't go from being the guy that someone signed to a complete failure or loser. It's part of the progression. It's part of growth. And so really changing the mindset of the guys of, hey, look for the next obstacle. Look for the next challenge. Figure out what to get better at. Don't sit there when you're doing well and try to kind of sit on top of your hill Because that's what it is, it's a hill, you come up one side and you're going to go down the other at some point. And so how do you find that next hill? How do you search for it? How do you look for what's going to make you better? And how are you open to that? So if you're a pitcher, how do you develop your next pitch? Or how do you perfect a pitch you currently have? Or um, how do you try to have, you know, five solid starts in a row? Or if you're hitting, how do you get to know your mechanics well enough that you can repeat them? Or how do you look for the change you need to make? Or if there's a pitch that you don't hit very well versus trying to avoid that pitch, how do you go practice it? And I I think that that's true for all of us, right? Like we have periods where we want to be comfortable and that's fair. But then how do you start to look for that next challenge for yourself? And instead of hiding from it, how do you attack it? You know, not good at rucking. How do you ruck more if you're not good at Lifting heavy things. How do you make that part of your day if you're not good at endurance? How do you make endurance part of your day? They're they're not the fun parts, but they are what keeps us evolving and learning. And I think that that's really important for our mindset. But I also think it's part of how we all get better at what we do. Um, it's a other big thing we I saw, and this is an interesting one. I don't know how much this comes outside of baseball, but it kind of marries up to the first one. Is what people were actually building confidence off of was really interesting. So we played around with this concept of junk food confidence and healthy confidence. So junk food confidence is sugary. It's like candy. It tastes great when you're chewing on it. Mm, like a quick hit. Yeah, it's easy to find. So junk food confidence is Twitter accounts. It's wanting someone wanting your autograph. It's doing a drill like batting practice that you know you can already do. And so you're just building your confidence as you're doing something you know you're already good at. If you're a great runner, it's gonna go you're gonna go run five miles and feel great about the fact you have a great five miler time. But you already know that. You already can do that. And so you're building confidence off of this kind of sugary stuff. The problem is it's just like sugar.
0: No substance.
1: Yeah, so it doesn't stick with you. And particularly when you get challenged, it dissipates really quick. Mm-hmm. It all goes away. And and so a lot of the players as they're coming up and getting better, they, they, they love the media. They love their Twitter feeds. They love the autographs. They love the attention. They love batting practice. Um, and they don't like working on the things they're not good at. Um, and, and, but then when they hit a real challenge, the confidence is gone. Okay. So what's healthy confidence? Well, it takes time to prepare. You got to think about it. It doesn't always taste good when you're, when you're, chewing on it, you know, but it does last you and it sticks with you. And so, um, a challenge that I put out to a lot of people is, you know, what, what do you, what do you gain your daily confidence or your weekly confidence off of? And is it sugary or is it a real substance? And oftentimes the real substance is I'm not good at as an endurance runner. So I made it five miles and it wasn't a good time, but I did it. I I mean, I got up and I actually ran the five miles um, that's healthy. And and you may not have as much confidence as doing your sugary stuff, but it'll actually last you longer. And so they've actually run really cool studies off of it where they've actually done it with batting practice, where they've had guys hit pitches they knew were coming versus guys that had to do random pitches. Mm -hmm. And, and then they did a game style event, you know, a week and a half later, whatever it was. And the guys that had been practicing knowing what pitch was coming, had higher confidence, but then performed worse. So I think there's this concept of like all confidence is created equal and so you need to be confident, but I think that's actually not real. You need to have confidence, build off something that is unshakable and is going to last. Um, and that was a really big thing for, for baseball players is to really examine where was this coming from? Because you'd see these guys that were making a bare minimum of $500,000 a year. If not much more than that and they'd have their confidence just torn to shreds but it was not built on very good stuff and so i think that was one of the surprising things that i found myself working with guys a lot on is how were they building their identity building their confidence um, maintaining who they were across a long season and of course fans feel like they have a right to say everything to these guys so you know one night on twitter it's we love you and the next one it's we hope you die and they get both
0: (laughs) Yeah, I I don't know that I could ever do the celebrity thing <laughs> just because, man, the rabbit hole that you would go down, reading about yourself on social media uh. would just be utterly miserable. I think, especially when, when trolls are out there. But I I can see how, I can see how, the healthy confidence, is kind of connected in a way to to grit. Mm-hmm. Um, reading right now, I think it's Angela Stockwell? Angela Duckworth. Duckworth. Yep. Sorry, I don't know why I was thinking Stockwell. Oh my God, I know an Angela Stockwell from (laughs) a previous life. Hi Angela. If you're listening, (laughs) hi, I just had like a complete brain dead moment and yeah, anyway, um, I enjoy that she connects in the book grit. She connects this passion with persistence and the two things together make grit and I think that there's probably some aspect of persistence in the healthy confidence in the sense that you have to one be actively pursuing it and it takes more investment on your on your own part to have that confidence because it's you know a twitter like or you know, Instagram followers, whatever, that's a free hit of dopamine. It's not something you had to put any investment of yourself into, it's a self-investment, but also it's a confidence that's built on, you might not um, hit those small targets that you're looking to hit, but because you've greased the wheel of making yourself revisit things that you're bad at, then really the possibilities become endless. Because I don't ever have to be—if that's the case—I don't ever have to be in a position where I'm bad at everything, forever and ever. Amen. Yes. Of course, there's exceptions to that. You know, if you once were um, a pro-level athlete of some kind and had a catastrophic injury, and sure. it's like, okay, you're not going to ever perform that way again. All right, got it. Take that off the table. Um, but speaking specifically into like things that maybe weren't possible before, it's it becomes it becomes achievable. Anything becomes achievable as long as you're willing to put the work in. And I think that a self-confidence built around that is like this, this light that shines within you of just like anything's possible.
1: Yeah. And I, I think being willing to be the, to be that person that'll do that work. There's a lot of people that aren't willing, you know, to look that thing in the eye. I'm not good at this yet. So how do I avoid it? versus, I'm not good at this yet. Man, I'm gonna get in there and get to know this thing and play with it and get dirty with it. And it's not gonna be fun all the time, but I I think that there's a type of confidence that comes out of that person that's willing to go there that's really different from the person that's trying to hide those possible weaknesses.
0: Do you think it's true that, uh, this is a belief that I've held for a while, but I'm interested to hear what you think about it. Do you think it's true that people fear their own greatness? yes because they because they fear what it will take to be great
1: so i think the work to truly get to that point is not easy for anybody and i i think that there are many left or right turns you could take that are really nice left and right turns where you don't have to keep going for it. And you don't have to keep climbing that hill and they're good places to live and be in function. And they're not as hard. And I think, um, to continue down hard paths, you're going to get beat up a bit. And so, you know, do you really want to choose to continue to get beat up? Um, but I, I think people oftentimes do veer away from their own potential or their own capability. Um, It's a really hard road to walk, and but the irony in that too is
0: like you have to live with the pain of your regret, and you have to live with the pain of all the things I could have been, you know? Yeah. Like all the stuff that you look back and say, "I I wish I would have done this or that, or at least tried."
1: Yeah. Well, and you have to look at yourself in the eye. So the thing I found is um, every time I've gotten challenged, it's challenged me to better define who I am and to be more realistic about who I am, the goods and the bads, you know, I, I know I'm stubborn and and that gets shown to me so clearly um, when I'm getting challenged. Um, but I always walk out with a clear picture of myself. Um, sometimes I like that picture. Sometimes I don't. Um, and I think that's part of it too is uh, do you want to face that reality I think that that's a question that people, the farther you push, the more you have to define and know and accept fully. Um, People don't always choose that option.
0: Yeah. I think it's also something to look forward to, like the fact that the more willing you are to do that work on yourself and to really hold yourself accountable it becomes easier to do that as well. And it, yeah. it also pays dividends because over time people change.
1: Yeah,
0: I would I'll say unabashedly with no shadow of a doubt, I'm a very wildly different person today for having served than I would have been otherwise. And I'm really grateful for that. And I'm really grateful for the opportunities that shoved me violently outside my comfort zone. It's, it's given me so many tools now. And, um, that's, I think that's been one of the funnest aspects of this, this whole, this whole ride, but in that, in that vein, talking particularly now about your experience with uh special operations soldiers, have you seen similarities between the two challenges that you've described with the professional athletes and, and soft soldiers, or are there different nuances that are kind of surprising?
1: I think there are some similarities and some differences. So like the principles of mental performance tend to stay the same, but like, um, so I think, I think a growth mindset or how people look at training or, or embracing challenge is very much alive. So do you become part of whatever community you've been selected into? And is that where your growth stops or is that where it starts? So um, team sergeants or command that constantly push their groups, teams to get better, it's initially, you'll get pushback on it. You you can hear it. Um, Try offering a team an unknown PT event and see how they respond. You know, they're the best of the best, yet they don't want to do an unknown thing. But that's exactly how they were selected was unknown distances and unknown events. So I think, I have seen in the best that they continue to push, they continue to get challenged and they get those around them to embrace being pushed and being challenged, knowing that they are growing as human beings. Um, If you're willing to train in and around your point of failure, you're going to keep growing. If you want things to be easy because now you've gotten whatever it is you've gotten, then you're going to start to actually lose your edge and you're going to start to come down to that level um, uh, baseball naturally won't kind of let that occur, but I actually, I think that's something that <clears throat> if you're in charge of a group of people and PT is, you know, on your own or easy every day, or people just get to do the type of PT they want or the type of training they want, or every event is known, or there's not challenges or there's not stressed place there. I think it's, it, you can get comfortable and I can, And I wanna be careful about this. I can understand some of it because depending on what op tempo you've deployed at, it must be nice to get some comfort somewhere at some point, especially given kind of how hard you've been ridden and and how little time you get at home. So I think that's a hard one. You know, pro athletes have, baseball players have long seasons. They have one hundred and eighty 160 games, 162 games, 180 days. Uh, but they get some nice that to go along with that season, too, in terms of chartered flights and um, nice hotels. Uh, so good food.
0: I would imagine that's, you know, you know what you're walking into Yeah. with that. You know what the season's going to look like. You know yep. you're going to have to play X many games and practice this amount. Yep. It's very different with a deployed soldier, especially in a soft profile.
1: No doubt. And the amount of stress, I mean, I, I, so so that's a hard one to compare in terms of apples and oranges. But I do think as human beings... I believe we have an innate want to grow and that you have, you want to feed that. And that if you're not feeding that want to grow or find obstacles or find challenges that, that you don't actually stand still, you start to backslide. So I think that's, that's real for any performer in any community. Um, the confidence stuff, I don't know how much that carries over. I mean, I think it can in some ways, I think the self identity portion of confidence is huge. Um, but, Soldiers aren't getting asked to sign autographs every day and people aren't telling you they love you on a Twitter account necessarily.
0: Yeah, I think it manifests in a different way though from what I've seen. Like I've discussed this in previous podcasts so I'm not gonna like belabor the story. But essentially I at one point in time was in the schoolhouse and realized from listening to another you know, psychologist with all of the experience talking to another soldier basically saying like sounds like you're having a kind of an identity crisis and you know maybe you should accept that you don't have to hold on to that identity anymore you can take on a new one and it was earth shattering for me because at the time the thing I was fixated on was being a crossfitter like all my fitness had to be based on that because I was competitive and Mm -hmm. I was always in the top five in competitions and it was a thing that I never realized I could choose to walk away from. And I think it's similar when you talk about quote unquote, a long taber, yep. a green beret, a person that there's so much imagery and just pride instilled into the unit that you're in and yeah. you absorb that in a big way. And I'm not saying you shouldn't, but how much does your pride get challenged when that hat or that tab or whatever yeah, comes into question or really when you're talking to someone that
1: has no value
0: with like, okay, your, your hat's green. What does that mean to me? I'm a civilian or whatever the case may be. Right.
1: Like, no, I, I think you're, it is. So I think you're hitting on something. I think, um, when you're part of, a, of an outlier population, when you are part of a population that is unlike most of the rest of society, that's pro baseball player or soft or military, frankly, military period. Um, there does tend to be a strong identity that goes with that because you have done things that nobody else is doing or that 99 percent of the population isn't doing and and so i think that can be interesting when that becomes everything in your identity and you're right if anything's going to challenge that or if you need to adapt from that that can be very difficult. And so what does a first round draft pick in baseball do when he's not playing well? right? Is he still the person that got drafted and handed millions of dollars? or is he complete failure as a human being and needs to you know put his tail between his legs and slink back home to wherever? I think the same thing can be true. What happens for the injured soldier that you know cannot define himself by being the toughest person or having the best five mile run time? I had a really good friend. Um, who fell off a ladder and broke his pelvis. And he was the most amazing runner. He was the guy on a dive team that could run, you know, five minute miles continuously. And wow. now he can, he's learning to run again. So how does he maintain his identity? He's got a wife and a kid at home. You know, he's gotta keep being in a, a, a real person. So I think you're right. I think there can be identities that are really tightly formed around what you do and maybe not all of who you are. And those become the hard decisions to make is, but who are you underneath it all? And does this still fit your values and your standards? And yeah. do you still have value to yourself if you take off whatever uniform you're wearing?
0: Yeah, I think there's definitely an aspect there of taking account, taking inventory of yourself and checking in with yourself and seeing what other aspects of your life really bring value to you as a human being. And, and even, you know, I use the example of Green Berets just because there's such a strong imagery there. But even the other, the other tribes and special operations, yeah. psychological operations, civil affairs, even you know the the medic community, like there's so much emphasis placed on the the awesome specialization, the level of specialization of what you do, and there's a lot of pride in that. And I think I've heard the story a million times of people, you know, not not only in soft but in just the army in general, leaving the organization and having such a hard time acclimating to the -hmm. rest of normal life after the military, after service, because their identity is so deeply rooted in what they did. And not only that, but you've been socialized in such a different way. Like, man, like the way I would talk to my (laughs) soldiers at work, not like disrespectfully, but just. It's different. Man, I could not get away with that. I know in a civilian world, like what you are absolutely batshit crazy. What is wrong with you lady? Like
1: there are two stories that actually mirror each other that stick with me. Um, One actually is a story of a, um, a hall of famer who at that baseball player, old man getting on a flight that got particularly upset because someone put their bag in the overhead over his seat. And the stewardess is explaining to the man, you know, Hey, you don't have, like it's not designated overhead space. They can put their bag over your seat. Oh, he was mad because it was the spot of like correct. My, that's D- my space directly over his seat, right? Okay. This is mine. Hmm. And he turns to the stewardess and says, "You know, do you know who I am?" The stewardess says, "Sir, I have no idea who you are." And says, "But the bag, you know, the bag stays and walks away." And kind of the reminder of, "No, she had no clue. Like he, he, he was not any more of a person than the next person." And then I heard this one more recently, and it stuck with me too. Of a general that had gone to a conference, and they'd um, you know saved a seat, and they brought him a cup of coffee and a and a nice coffee cup, and and um, you know he had been checked on, and they made sure he had a meal throughout kind of the the keynote address of this conference, and it had, you know clearly had been very aware that the general was there, and he was retiring the year later, and he retired, and he decided he wanted to go back to the conference. It was a great experience, and so he went in and realized that like none of the travel had been set up for him and he, he goes into the conference and he checks in and he waits in the line and he goes in and um, the balcony he was sitting up on he can't even get up to and he asks someone you know hey is there coffee and they're like yeah the cups are over there and their paper cups sitting with the coffee everyone else is drinking and the story actually is a little bit of a nicer one where the guy kind of smiles to himself and he realizes that what got respected the year before was his rank and not him as a human being, but his rank, and that now he doesn't have the rank, so he's just like every other human being. Um, I think that that can be a hard one of, like, sometimes we mistake the jersey for us, or the Mm -hmm. rank and uniform for us, and yeah, at some point it does come off. So, who are you underneath it all? You know, who's, what's the identity underneath it all? What stays the same underneath it all? And, And can you differentiate the two
0: yeah i think it's important to make a practice of revisiting that person because it's so it would be so easy to get lost yeah in that uniform and rank people do it all the time i've been guilty of it too there's so many pieces of this that i would like i feel like we could talk for hours and hours and hours but we have to keep the podcast (laughs) at like a decent a decent uh time frame so I'd like to now get into, you know, based on all of your broad scope of experience and the different people that you've worked with, speaking specifically now to our female military athlete population, the unique and special challenges that they face, um, if you had, you know, a handful of things that, that you've seen that could be good points of focus for, specifically from a sports psychology perspective, you know, how can, how can female military athletes apply
1: some techniques mm-hmm.
0: to, to make those day-to-day challenges a little easier?
1: So I think the, on a, I'll go broad and then I'll get more specific. I think on a broad term, self-awareness is going to be absolutely huge. Um, particularly if you're going to be a minority within a population. So knowing yourself and knowing what your strengths and weaknesses are. Um, it's an interesting one. Cause I'd say in your own personal space, as you're training up or working, um voraciously or, or vigorously going after those weaknesses is going to be huge for you. but the the truth is if you're if you're not in a safe spot, choosing when you show those weaknesses is actually probably important. Um, knowing what the strengths are well enough that you are showing those, I think is is big too., um, finding your way to be confident and what that looks like. And that may not look the same as your male counterparts, I think is is really important. And that comes into that self-awareness piece or knowing yourself, um, I think is pretty big. And just recognizing it's not going to look the same for you as it is for those around you. So how do you contribute? What's your role within that? And and you're not going to pal around with the guys the same way they pal around with each other. It's just going to look different. So um, defining what that looks like for you. More specifically, a concept I love is like a three-foot world. Um, so we use this with like pitchers and batters, but I think this works for all of us, is if you kind of stick your hand straight out in front of your face and you kind of make a circle around you, that's what you actually get to control is three feet. It's, you can just imagine kind of the circle that moves with you everywhere you go. So how much can you dominate that three-foot space? And that involves your brain and your mouth and your body and your actions, but you don't actually get much control out of that space. And So I think when when things are going either really well or really, really tough, where's your mind? Is it outside of those three feet? Or can you bring it back in and really dominate just that that space? Because it's manageable, you can dominate three feet. But if you try to start to control much beyond that, it kind of dissipates what you're capable of, right? So like you can dominate three feet, you might have some control over five feet, you might have like 50% control over 10 feet and then you really lose control when you get much past that. So can you come back to your space and really focus on like, how do I make that three feet the most dynamic, powerful, amazing space to function out of and come back into that space continuously, no matter what's occurring. Um, I'd say that's a, a pretty huge one in terms of kind of attention and space. Um, man, I keep, I just think as a female coming back to like knowing yourself is so important because the other thing I'd say is know yourself well enough to know when stuff's actually about you and when it's about other people because I think that's the other trap we fall into is like other people's issues are their issues and it really has nothing to do with you and you might've triggered it because you're female but it's their issue, right? And if you know yourself well enough to just let them wrestle with their own demons they'll defeat themselves but if you insert yourself into it as if it's a personal thing, man, you are right in the mix of their own storm.
0: God, I, I couldn't agree more. You, I fought this battle myself. I was a sensitive kid, a sensitive teenager. I really didn't know how to deal with that until I became an adult in the army and was like, oh, I can I can apply my sensitivity in ways that's really productive sometimes. Yeah. And other times, man, stoicism is the way to go. Mm-hmm. And oh, by the way, Life is really, really hard when everything is about you. Oh. Or at least when you think everything is about yeah, you. Yeah. Man, like it is exhausting. Yes. To feel like people are out to get you all the time. Yes. And the amazing, beautiful reality is most of the time they're not. So and sometimes they are, but most of the time they're not. And we, we create this fantasy in our head where we yep. are the center of someone else's universe it's like man does does billy bob over here in the cubicle next door actually have enough bandwidth to like try and go out of his way to make me feel bad right now right probably
1: not no and so i mean i joke like most people don't see past their own nose and and, think about it like the day you spill like mustard on yourself or all kinds of stuff if you don't act like that's happening 90 percent of the world's not even going to notice they're just not, They, they people are stuck in their own worlds and their own bubbles and they're too busy worrying about their own selves. So most people aren't gonna see past their own nose. So taking that moment and taking stock of like, does this have to do at all with me or is this, this other person's deal and their problem and their thing, and I'm just gonna leave it in their world and let them process it. I just think it, to your point, saves you a huge amount of energy and a huge amount of worry and doubt. Um, and instead you just kind of quietly go on with your way um, but I think just knowing with those obstacles you are going to be forced to define yourself and so being willing to look at that really honestly um, is a pretty big deal I mean and and being willing to not just define the positives we had um, some minor league guys come to kind of actually kind of a land nav event with us and we asked them to like define their character and they had these wonderful like storybook definitions of character, you know? And I was like, all right, come on. Each of you have something that's like negative in your character. Like, I know I'm stubborn. Like, I know that that, that has to be one of my defining characteristics. Like, come on, give me like the dark side of, you know, one of these. Um, and we had them for a week, and by the end of the week, they kind of talked much more realistically about who they are. But that's who we, like, if you put us in a performance environment, what are you doing? You're stripping us all down to kind of like the bare minimum core of who we are. And in the most stressful performance environments, that's what's happening. And the question is, can you still function as that imperfect, stripped down person? And if you can, there's lots of different ways to perform and function, you just have to be able to look at that person and say, yep, that person can still do X, Y, and Z. And yep, if you ask me to do A, B, and C, it's really going to suck for me, but I'm willing to get in there and do it. And I, I think that's where a lot of these like people opt out of the process. Like, "Oh, you're going to ask me to do A, B, and C? I don't like that. So I'm just going to bow out now, or I'm not going to try as hard. I'm not going to get dirty with it. Or they get stripped down and they look at themselves and say, I don't see myself this way.
0: Yeah. And that's a hard battle to fight when you've spent so much time in an organization that's really good at giving you awards <laughs> and nice evaluations yeah. and more rank when you continue to do your thing. And right. I think there's sometimes this habit of falsely inflating oneself yep. when you've received those kind of superficial accolades or maybe less deeply um, analyzed like surface cues that, yes, you're doing it right. Yeah. I'll give an example. There's crusty old warrant officers and crusty old NCOs and crusty old feel-grade officers running around in our US military that because of the evidence, the superficial evidence they've seen over time, they think they, they know everything. And there are people that stop asking for the input of the group and they stop self-analyzing and they stop because they don't have any reason to right and then you get into those situations that are toxic or dangerous like actual imminent danger in the real world when we're in combat or danger in terms of the health of the organization where no one else gets any buy-in right because daddy or mommy is always right like this it's such a difficult thing and, and it makes you feel powerless when you're one of those people that's not at the top of the pecking order
1: yeah and and your leadership is performing that way i mean i think i think that's the piece you, you have to you gotta take stock you know are, are you willing to are you willing to take a realistic look at yourself are you willing to get feedback are you willing to challenge yourself still and that's that's probably like the barometers right there when have you done something when's the last time you did something that made you feel uncomfortable Yeah, you know, if you can't remember you're in a bad spot
0: Get comfortable with the uncomfortable. Mm Mm-hmm,
1: absolutely. Um, Because I I, I do feel like when we we stop, every time you challenge yourself, you have to to see something that that you may or may not like. It'll give you something to work on. It'll give you something to think about. If you do it in team environments or group environments, it, it, it lets you see each other perform. And if you do it in team environments where you don't always choose your strength, you know, then people watch each other struggle and work but i I think that's also how like true team and trust is built um a couple podcasts or or pieces that i've loved recently is Brene brown's work she does a lot on studying vulnerability and shame she's phenomenal she's Mm -hmm. out of texas she's really good sounds interesting Yes, um, and if you want to have like a lot of stuff you think challenged, listen to some of Brene Brown's work. She has a, po- or a TED Talk that I think has over 35 million views of it. It's one of the most trending um, TED Talks. She's phenomenal. Uh, and then actually in our field, there's a guy named Justin Sua um, who has a podcast. He works for the Tampa Bay Rays. His podcast is one to three minutes in the morning. It's every day, but it's like tiny. But it's always some piece to think about. He's a great storyteller too. Um, and just some people that like I love to throw them on because they just they make you uncomfortable. They make you think about what's that next step. They don't they don't let you sit in your nice little bubble that you built for yourself. And I think for all of that, of all of us, that just it, you know it's kind of our reality check that that keeps us moving.
0: I like that advice. Those I mean it was kind of, we kind of like went in a roundabout way about <laughs> it. But yeah, it's so true. I mean, you really you can never really turn off you're learning as long as you're taking that assessment and, yep. and checking back in. And I think you make a good point too about the team dynamic. Really, there's not, there's not a team that does well without also having moments of failure. Mm-hmm. And especially as a leader in these organizations, it forces you into a situation where you have to sometimes take advantage of or employ the really strong suits of certain individuals that have talents that are better than yours when it comes to certain situations like if you have a really important meeting with a particular person sometimes it has to be that guy or girl because there's no one else that can do it better um but not allowing yourself to go into a slippery slope where it's like joe will always (laughs) be the guy to talk to Yeah, you know the local tribal leader because Joe's just the best well Joe's gonna inevitably come down with the flu and the rest of us are gonna Have to learn right quickly how to to adapt and do that So
1: no, but I think that's you know It's good leadership that you're employing the talents around you and then hopefully also learning from them and cross-training out of them I think um, People do have their different strengths and And this is the weird one. I actually think in my weird, strange brain that people like their vulnerabilities exposed because you then, there's nothing to hide behind and you offer them the chance to grow. So like, I always was shocked with baseball players that were like these amazing franchise guys that I think one of the moments I gained their trust the most or when they started listening to me the most is when I saw them just as human. And I wasn't impressed by the stats. I just... You kind of got to see them for the core of who they are, or you gave them really blunt, honest feedback when the world was blowing smoke up there. You know it, so, right? You can say it if you want. I've been <laughs> cussing already. All right, I'm all right. Like I didn't know, you know. <laughs> but I think that that's people appreciate it, right? So like, it's kind of a relief when you know that. um, I don't know. Something as stupid as your push-ups suck, and you've been avoiding ways to do them, and you've kind of happened to miss that water, those PTs, and then someone catches you on it and says, Hey, we're gonna build a plan, we're gonna fix this, and you know, six months later you're in a different spot. That feels better. It's mom catching you, not doing your homework. But people don't want to hide that weakness forever. They just need someone to help them identify that. And I think we miss that spot too, sometimes even with ourselves. Like taking ourselves to task and being like, all right, I know I suck at this. Like, how am I gonna build this in? Like, I'm gonna look at myself in the eye. Yeah. But I think we like it when other people do it to us, to us too, as long as they'll support us on the backside.
0: Absolutely. I don't, I don't agree that you have a weird brain, not at all. <laughs> I think that you're right, that people enjoy showing their vulnerability because at the end of the day, we, whether we like to, some of the stronger personalities like to admit it or not, everyone wants to be understood and everyone everyone wants to feel like they are seen at some point or another yeah. even the most like cold remote removed person that's just like on on top of their little hill like you described before even that person from time to time wants to be vulnerable to somebody yeah. and i think there's so much opportunity there especially when we talk about leadership and helping develop the people around us. There's a whole lot of opportunity there. And I think that's probably been one of the more rewarding things that I've experienced um, just having done what I did, being in settings where you have to be vulnerable or the team doesn't work. Yep. And those moments I think often build to this, really what makes the job so great because, you know, if I, if I were uh, doing computer analytics or something out on the civilian side, and you know, if that had been my job, could I like talk to the person in the cubicle next to me that way? No way. Right. Will I have seen that person at their absolute worst and had an opportunity to, to bring them, help bring them out of that? No way. Yeah. Maybe, maybe if we like made a I had a special friendship outside of work, but like,
1: no, it's a whole different level of getting to be human. I think that's part of what we're missing today. You know, everyone's got their perfect profile on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter and it it's it's depressing to look through, right? Because you can't you can't compare to the perfect image and so, Huh, like Ashley and I are
0: eyelashes are not real.
1: <laughs> be real with yourself. Right? And we like, I mean, it's we plastic. Li- we need vulnerability. We yeah. need um, we need that piece. We like those human moments and and I don't know if we don't if we if we don't get past all the social media. If we don't do uncomfortable things with each other. We don't get to see much of it. I think it's why people are drawn to that stuff so much more now. But yeah, cool.
0: we've had an amazing conversation. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you for having it. me.
1: This has been so awesome. This has been.
0: I think we're probably going to have to do this again and like pick a grab bag of other like detailed finite stuff to get into.
1: Yeah, I feel like I kind of failed you on the mental performance side of just getting into like, hey, here are the five things. But we could totally go after that another time.
0: It's totally my fault because I always come into these with like an idea of how (laughs) it's going to go. But then it always feels good to let it just be free form and take on its natural state. I hear you. you. You Agreed. There's a lot more we could talk about. So we'll definitely have to have you back. Sounds good. Uh, So yeah, we will see you next time. Thank you. Thank you. And as always, we want to hear from you. Reach out to us at ValkyrieProjectUS.com to send ideas, shoutouts, personal testimonies, or stories you'd like to share. We are also on Facebook and Instagram as Valkyrie Project US, so be sure to like and follow those pages to stay up to date. Do today what others won't. Do tomorrow what others can't. Thanks for listening.